Jonah 1. If you've been in our church long enough and have heard me preach, you'll know that I have a problem, and it's called arachnophobia. My dad struggled with it. My daughter, Mackenzie, struggles with it, and I won't tell about the recent problems she had with it because I'm a nice guy. It's a fear of spiders. Knowing that I have this fear, Carol Savalli, <laughs> when I walked into her office just a few days ago, had her small, beautiful, innocent little girl, Ava, throw a plastic spider at me when I wasn't ready. I began therapy shortly afterwards. <laughs> Over the years, I've experienced trauma from these eight-legged tiny terrorists. And although I looked on the internet, I don't have the typical um, diagnosis or symptoms of having a problem with arachnophobia because normally you'd have this, dizziness, trembling, sweating, Rapid heart rate, chest pain, nausea. I don't have any of those. I only have one symptom, screaming. (laughs) Which took place when I was on my first missions trip to Haiti. And I went to Haiti and they told me about the spiders, which I wish they wouldn't have, but they did. They told me about the spiders and they said, oh no, they're not like the ones here. (laughs) As if some some sort of comfort. Um, they said, they're not big and hairy like tarantulas. They're big and slimy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and so I was doing great. I didn't see any of them all week while I was there. So every night you go to bed in Haiti, it's about 95 degrees with about 95% humidity. And of course, you're laying on your bed and you're sweating and, the sweat dro- and every drop of sweat that drops on you think it's something crawling on you. So I averaged about five minutes a night of sleep. Um, but... I woke up on the last day, and I woke up, and I felt so good. This is it. I've made it. And I looked up in my bed, and I turned it right on the wall above my head. was a spider about that big, and it was slimy and wet looking. And so I did what only thing I know to do. I screamed. (laughs) And then other guys came in, and then I didn't realize not only was this thing big and slimy, but it was so fast. I mean, I wasn't going to be the one who killed it, although I was thinking about it quite a bit. Um, So Vlad came in with a broom, and literally, he's swatting at it, hitting the wall, all kinds of stuff, and literally chased it all over three different rooms and killed it in another room. And then we had a celebration. No, I I had a celebration. (laughs) Uh, But that wasn't the worst one. I got to tell you this, but I love telling this story. So there's a guy in our trip. His name was Wes Tenbarge. He was a military guy. Let me describe him to you. He was ripped, buffed, muscular, similar to myself. And he was just a tough guy. So we were all sitting around a little bit of like a campfire. And they have, at the time, they had like a, um, you know, just couldn't have the lights on very long. And so you're sitting out there, the generator's running, you're talking. That's all there really was to do at night. So we're doing that. And at that point, because... you know, they hadn't had a lot of things they have now, but they had like a little outhouse outside, and you kind of walked away from the fire up the hill just a little bit, and there was this outhouse sitting on the top, and everybody used that to use the restroom. So we're all sitting, and he, you know, I, he got up, he had to go to the restroom. So I said, hey, 
you better take your flashlight. Because you never know what might be, you know, what I'm talking about. I don't like the he who should not be named, the spider. So he goes in there, and he's in there maybe 30 seconds a minute. And I hear this, ah, scream. Now, again, I felt so good. Because he's a military guy with muscles, and the spider, he had turned on his flashlight and looked at the, now, this this thing was, this was a very narrow, you're, you're in there, and the walls are like right here. So right when he turned the flashlight, it was right there. <laughs> oh, somebody else, finally. Now, so he gets up and screams, and I'm, we're in church. So he gets up and screams, right? And he gets up, flings the door open, and he's trying to keep it, keep it all together. And he, he comes out of there screaming, and he trips, and he rolls all the way down. Oh, <laughs> It's crazy. Um, so, I looked up on the internet, how do you overcome the fear of spiders? And the following suggestions were given. Read on spiders. Let me just type front, that's a joke. Um, it says this, read about this, they rarely bite unless threatened. Notice the word rarely. Most bites are harmless. So, number one, check that off, not helpful. Number two, realize that there are 63,000 different species of spiders. Now, how does that help? But only 2% are dangerous and could bite you and kill you. Well, that, that just ruined everything for number two. And then the third one, get this. Discuss your fear of spiders with those you love. In my life, those who love were the worst pe- person I could ever tell. Carol Savali. Melissa O, where are you? Who put spiders in my desk, every single desk drawer. (laughs) See, there is no victory over spiders. There is none. But I've come up with my own. None of the ones on the internet work. So I've come up with the 12-step method. You've heard of that, right? So here's my 12-step. You step on it 12 times. (laughs) And then cry, die, as loud as you can. And it has worked for me. Jonah 1, Jonah chapter 1 is a chapter on fear. Not the fear of spiders, although there probably were a few on the boat. It's a fear of storms. In fact, fear really dominates the entire chapter. Chapter 1, verse 5, then the mariners were, look at it, afraid. Chapter 1, verse 9. Not only in the beginning of the chapter, but in the middle of the chapter. 9 and 10. I fear the Lord God of heaven. There it is. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And then the chapter ends. Not just the beginning and the end, but the, end, the middle, but the end. Verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. From the beginning, the middle, the end. The whole chapter is about fear. See, we all have fears, right? We all do. Some of them, I know you'll agree are not always so humorous. In fact, some of them are anything but funny. What are the fears you face this morning? See, maybe you're here this morning, and in fact, you came to church because of it. You could tell us, in fact, you could write a chapter of your own on fears, like Jonah had. Financial fears. I don't know if I'm going to make my mortgage. I don't know if they're going to take my car. Relational fears, is my marriage done? What about my kids? Physical fears, you're waiting even maybe today 
for the doctors to give you what the test really meant when you took it. How are you handling your fears? See, let me tell you up front, your fears reveal who you really are and what you think about God. See, what Jonah chapter 1 does for us, and what I want us to do this morning, is let the sailors, not Jonah who we normally look at, let the sailors in the midst of a very frightening storm teach us two lessons. Two lessons. One, and it's the same lesson, just flipped it over in negative, how to handle your fears and how not to handle your fears and what that means with your relationship or for your relationship with God. So let's just unpack them one at a time, can we? Verses 1 through 10 or 4 through 10, how not to handle your fears. Let me say it again. Your fears reveal who you really are. Hear me. No matter what you say to yourself and no matter what other people you say to other people, when you are in a storm, when you are fighting fear in your hearts, we come to the realization that we are God-needers. We are God-needers. They say it this way, there are no atheists in foxholes, right? And there is a God, and we know it. We may not even acknowledge it. We may say we don't believe it, but when fear comes along our way, fears bring out this reality that Romans 1 makes very clear that deep down in every heart, we know there is a God and he exists and we cry out to him at times in our lives when we're afraid when we would not do so otherwise. And because of this reality, when you're in a storm, you realize just how dependent and fragile and not in control you really are. So in one five it reads, the mariners were afraid and as a result of that fear, each one of them cried out to his God. Let me tell you something about ancient Near Eastern mariners. By and large, they were not religious. They were not devoted, even if they were polytheistic and idolatrous. They were not devoted to their gods. Normally, they would not even mention them or have anything to do with them. They never went to temple. They didn't do those things. But see, these guys are in trouble. And not more, more than that, they are scared really scared, and they've come to the realization that this storm is too much for them. I mean, these store sailors or mariners most of the time realize they can handle just about anything, but they are not adequate to handle this storm. This storm is unique. See, what are they going to do about it? Let me say it more pointedly. What are you going to do about it? See, here's what normal people do. Normally people, when they're in a scary situation and they don't know what to do and they can't handle it, here's what they do. They get religious. You know what they do? Oh, I'm going to start praying. I'm crying out to my God. I don't normally pray. And they even tell you if you're with them, I'm not normally a man of prayer. <laughs> right? But they start praying. Oh, yeah, you know what? Things are so bad in my life. Hey, honey, get the kids. We're going to church this Sunday. I'm going to clean up my act. You know what? You know, I've been a little bit, you know, not anymore, turning over a new leaf. See, before the storm, these mariners were normal idolaters, normal polytheists. They had a bunch of gods. They called on whatever god helped them the most in whatever given situation. But now in the first stage of this storm, they've moved from what? They've moved from 
polytheists to devoted ones. Now they're crying out. Now they're telling their God how great he was and how great he is. And if you could just come in and handle this problem, things would be good. But you know what we find out and what the Bible teaches repeatedly throughout Scripture is that religious, religion doesn't help. It's just not enough. So in verse 6, their gods aren't answering, so you know what they got to do? Well, there's this guy down, and he told us he's running from his God. Let's get him. So verse 6 says the captain himself, this is how desperate, the captain himself goes down there, and he says, get up and call on your God. Get up and call are the two words, the same two Hebrew words in verse 2 that God used to commission Jonah. Get up and go call. It says it, they're the same two verbs. When Jonah hears that, He's like thinking to himself, now these guys are commissioning me to do something to save them. He knows that language. He knows what they want. See, they tried their gods. Now they're to, they want him to get up and try his God. See, they're trying gods. Hey, we're religious, but our God is, I don't know where he is today. But try yours. Maybe yours will work. See, you know what? They're getting religious because they're getting desperate. Back then, everybody had gods. Everybody had gods. And watch, they would often take them on trips like this. So you ask, hey, who are your gods? They will, they will go down under the ship where their bunk was, and they would get out a, a bag or a sack, and they would open it up, and they would pull out their gods because they had little statues and image that represented their gods, and they could take them where they made them feel good. They could take their gods, and no matter where they were, their gods would be able to help them. Except now they're in a storm, and they're afraid, and none of these gods are any help whatsoever. They go from polytheist to monotheist. Now they're willing to worship Yahweh, who Jonah says is the one true God. They go from casual to committed to their own gods, and any god, including his, that will help. See, they're terrified and they're getting more terrified by the minute because verse, chapter 1, verse 5 says they are afraid. But by the time you get to chapter 1, verse 10, it says they are exceedingly afraid. Why? Hear me. They are defenseless against fear. You ever felt that? You just can't control it. I mean, one fear, one problem after another, fear after fear, anxiety comes, you can't handle it, you don't know what's coming, and so the depression builds up in your life. See, they're defenseless against it, and perhaps you're here this morning, you said, listen, Pastor Walker, I tried this, and I tried this, so I'm here this morning, I'm at church, because I'm going to try this. Let me ask you, why doesn't religion work? Here's why, because their gods are in the same situation they're in the little gods they took in the little pouch they brought their gods are in the boat just like they're in the boat hey when if when and if the boat goes down they're going to go down hear me and their gods are going to go down with them you know why because their gods can't handle it either their gods are not immune to being overpowered by circumstances. Their gods are not the ones in control of the winds and the waves. And so when Jonah identifies himself and his true God as the creator, the one who made heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, you know what he's telling them? See, the only God that really is in charge, that controls all of this, is not your little God in the bag. It's the one true living God that I'm running from. 
Do you remember not too long ago, and I think they still have them around, you remember the little motto they put on cups and every, shirts and everything and everywhere, keep calm and carry on. Remember that? Do you know, since I looked at one internet site this week, it had 680 different versions of that. The first one, keep calm and call Batman. It said, keep calm and never give up. That was all right. Keep calm and drink Mountain Dew. No, okay, I made that up, but nevertheless. And then the last, I saw this, listen, keep calm. And then it broke off and said, oh, who are we kidding? I thought that is probably the most true and significant one. You know why? Because it's one the Mariners probably would have put on their shirts. Keep calm, like, no, are you kidding do you see the storm I'm in? Do you see the fears I'm facing? You would say, keep calm, Pastor Walker. Are you kidding me? Keep, you've got to be kidding me. Do you know who is, what's going on in my life? You know this person I love, they passed away. You know this, and I, I don't know my, my job's future. Do you know what the economy is like? What's happening in Ukraine? Do you know all that stuff and the threats they're making? Do you understand? Keep calm. You've got to be kidding. And as time passes, they really do think, that it's, that it's a joke because their gods aren't doing anything and religion isn't helping and they begin to cast lots because now they're going to say, let's get down to the bottom of this. So they cast lots. And by the way, it would have been a stick and they would have scribbled in some way, shape or form. Usually they would have the person's name on it. So I don't know how many people were on the boat that day, but everybody had a stick and they put it on. They drew the one and believe it, out of all of them, the one with Jonah's names on it. Hmm. Not coincidental, is it? Providential. And they finally found out it's him, and they asked him who he is and where he's from, and they get to it, and here's about the end. Verse 11, they said, listen, you're the one. We knew you were running. Listen, I know it's your God, the one who's ahead of all the water and the waves and all, right? So what, here's what they say in verse 11. Listen, what are we supposed to do so that the storm will quiet down for us? You know what that's called? 21st century vernacular. That's called bargaining with God. What do we have to do so God will stop the storm? Because we're exceedingly afraid, verse 10. They're afraid. They're not sure what to do. They don't want to throw Jonah overboard. They don't want to kill him, but they do want to appease his God. You see, they're afraid, and they're practicing religion, but they're not really wanting to give their lives to Jonah's God. They want to bargain with him. You know what that's called? Fear-based religion. We do the exact same thing. I have a lot of people who have said, you know, I haven't been going to church much lately. I haven't really had God in my life like I should. And all this really bad stuff has been taking place in my life, and it makes me feel empty, and I feel alone, and I'm scared, and it's real. So here's what they say. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to start praying, and then I'll feel better. And then I'm going to start going to church because then I'll feel more confident. And I'm going to stop being so sinful and be a better person because then I think, then God will help me. What they're really saying is, I'm going to be so good that God will have to protect me. See, you know what that is? Hear me if it's you. You're trying to control God. See, you don't understand the difference between grace and fear. You don't understand the difference between giving yourself to God and trying to use God. So they say, just tell me the rules. (laughs) 
Tell me what to do to keep from drowning, they might have said. It's a fear-based relationship with God, and that's what it looks like. Have you ever said that? God, let's, let's do a bargain. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. And the crazy thing is, paradoxically, is when they say that, and when you say that, you know, I'll do anything, God, if you fill in the blank. You know, when you say that, you know what it does? It proves that you really don't want to do the one thing God wants you to do anyways. What do you mean, Pastor Walker? The one thing God wants you to do is to love him, hear me, without ifs. You will never be free from your fears until you love him without ifs. Some of you have been bargaining with God and you're pretty good at it because you've done it quite a bit. And you have your own set of ifs. God, I'll give my life to you if, if you help me get married. God, I'll give my life to you if you help me get pregnant, if you heal my cancer, if you turn my kids around, if you land me that job, if you get me out of that mess. But you don't realize what's on the other side of all of your ifs. You know what it is? Your real God. The thing that you fill in the blank with the if is, is really your real God. It's the thing that you look to to find significance and find security. But I can tell you this, like it was with the mariners, it can give you no help in times of storm. Okay, Pastor Walker, I get it. If I'm going to try to overcome my fears, getting religious won't do it. And if religion won't do it, then what will? Well, that's the other half of the message, how to handle your fears, verses 11 through 17. Look at verse 11. The sea grew more and more tempestuous. It says it twice, because here's the idea of what Jonah 1 wants you to, here's their fears are mounting because the storm is mounting. Their fears are growing bigger because the storm is getting bigger. They're getting more desperate, more afraid, more out of control. They tried everything. They've unloaded the cargo. They've called out to everybody's God more than once. They wanted to make a bargain. None of it seems to work. And so they asked Jonah in verse 11, what do we have to do to you? And then he says to them, look at verse 12, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. It's the same verb hurl four times in the text. It's the same one used in verses four and five when it says, and God hurled a great storm. And when they took the cargo, it says they hurled the cargo over the side. See, it means to throw with force. And Jonah's saying this, see how God has hurled the storm at us and how you hurled the cargo off? Pick me up and hurl me over. Throw me out of here. Because it's the only way, the only way that this storm is ever going to be quiet for you. Commentators go back and forth about what Jonah was going on in his heart when he made this statement, throw me in. Some people say, hey, he really hasn't turned the corner yet. He hasn't repented of his disobedience to God. And he's probably just saying, I'd rather die in this storm in the water than go to Nineveh. Just throw me in. <laughs> Other commentators say the complete opposite. They say, hey, this is the moment when he sees what he should have been doing and these sailors are going to die because of his disobedience and he finally gets it and he feels a little mercy. And he says, hey, I feel bad. Throw me in so you don't have to die. But either way, I don't know which one was true. 
Maybe a little both. I don't know. But here's the truth. Either way, he's saying this. I don't want you to die for me. I'm dying for you. I'll be willing to die for you. See, if you read verses 13 and 14, you'll find that even after he told them, throw me in, I'll die for you. You don't need to die for me. This isn't your problem. They don't want to do it. And so it says they try to get back to shore. But again, the chapter reminds us you can't fight against God. You can't control it. See, God doesn't want you to come up with another way to fight your fears on your own. He doesn't want you to come up with another methodology, a different technique this time. Stop, you know, breathing. No, you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to resign yourself that you are not in charge, that you're not in control, that you aren't adequate to face your fears. And as soon as they pick him up, verse 15, and they hurl him into the sea, did you catch it? It says, and the storm immediately is calm. It quiets down. Shh. It's done. Now, did you catch it? Because that's weird. Because remember I told you the words in Hebrew? They are building a progression. Bigger storm, bigger fear. So the first time when the storm's bad, verse 5, they're just afraid. Verse 10, it's really more tempestuous, and it says they are exceedingly afraid. So you would think, step one, step two, and then you'd think step three is now the storm is quiet. You would, accept, you, you would think that the Bible will say now they have no fear. But it doesn't. Chapter 1, verse 16 says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. What? It should say, now they had no more fear of anybody or anything because the storm was over. But it doesn't say that. They still have fear. And not just any fear. They have a heightened fear. They have an exceeding fear. Their fear is just as great, if not greater, than it was during any part of the storm. And the question is, why? Here's Psalm 130, verse 4. Listen. But with you, there is forgiveness so that you might be feared. You see the sailors they weren't just wowed by the fact that Jonah's God could stop the storm. I'm sure they were, but it wasn't just that. You know what they were really wowed by? What really made them afraid is what it took for the storm to stop. You know what it took? A substitutionary sacrifice. See, Jonah had to give himself and have them throw him into the sea, and his sacrifice would be good enough for all of them. And when they threw him into the sea, it all stopped, and they put it together in their mind. He throw, we throw him in, and God stops the storm. That's what blew their mind, see? In Matthew chapter 12, in verse 41... Jesus says this, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Listen, here's what Jesus says, but someone greater than Jonah is here. 
The, v, the previous verse says this, I'm only going to give the religious leaders who don't want to believe him, I'm going to give you one sign. It's the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days in the belly of the earth, or in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. You know what he's saying? Do you hear what he's saying? There's someone greater than Jonah here. And it's not someone that you have to hurl because you have to put him out there. No, here's what Jesus is saying. I'm the greater than Jonah. I'm the greater. He says, behold, think about it. Listen to this. That Jonah sacrificed himself for a few people. But Jesus says, listen, you are in the greatest storm of your life. The really the one that you should fear more than anything else. And you know what it is? It is God's storm of wrath and condemnation and judgment for your sin. That... Not Jonah's, that storm is what you should fear. And here's what Jesus says. See, I died on the cross. They put me in the ground for three days, and then I came out. You know why? Because I'm the only one that can give you the ability to handle your fears. I'm the only one. You need someone, not little G God, big G God, one who has conquered the greater and not was argued to the lesser. See, the greatest argument is what is your biggest problem? Sin and hell and death and Satan. And Jesus says, done, I have conquered that. Now let's take a look at your fears in light of that. See, he's the one. You know how you handle your fears? You have to have him in your life. Jesus says, listen, there's only one really, there's only one storm that can take you out ultimately. It's the storm of God's wrath against your sin and mine. And Jesus says, they threw Jonah in the ocean, but I went under an ocean of punishment and judgment that I didn't deserve so that you could be forgiven. As a result, Jesus says, you can do this, keep calm. And trust Jesus. See, that's what you can do this morning. In fact, God invites you to. And that's why, even though you may not realize it, he brought you here. He brought you here this morning because he knows the fears that you have in your heart that maybe those closest to you even don't. He knows the anxiety. He knows the difficulty. He knows it. But he, he brought you here to tell you this. You can handle it but a greater than Jonah is here. And his name is Jesus. And he conquered sin and hell and death, and he can conquer with it all of your fears, even the fear of death itself. The question is, do you know him? Have you ever recognized you're a sinner and you need a savior and Jesus is your only hope? Have you ever recognized that his cross death wasn't just an example of a good person showing you how to live? It was your substitute, the greater substitute. He took your place. It was the death you should have died. And like Jonah, he hurled himself under the wrath of God's judgment. And he took it all because he loves you and desires for you to be with him for eternity. See, you can keep calm, not only now, but you can keep calm for eternity if you know him. Do you? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, as the Spirit of God has taken the Word of God and 
perhaps it's spoken to your heart today. You'd say, Pastor Walker, I know what fear is about. I really know. I could write a chapter. You're right. And you could tell us some storm stories of your own, could you not? It's not that we all don't face storms. Through many tribulations, right, we'll enter the kingdom. It's how are you handling them? How are you responding to them? Perhaps this morning is God's wake-up call to you that you are inadequate, that you are dependent, that you can handle them. Try all the techniques you want, but in the end they are no help because fears are meant to tell you something about him, remember? That he is the God who has conquered them all through Jesus, his son, and his death and resurrection. Do you have ifs this morning? Oh, I'll follow you, Jesus, if... Can I say to you, drop the ifs. All of them. All of them. Stop trying to be religious. Stop trying to bargain with him. Say, here's what you need to say. Jesus, no more ifs, no more bargaining, no more self-righteous religion. Here's my life. Forgive my sins. Control me. Take over. Period. I want to know you and follow your son for the rest of my days. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, by the grace and mercy and love of our Savior. Is that you this morning? If you say, Pastor Walker, I need to give my life. I need to come to know Jesus. I need to find salvation and forgiveness in what he has done for me. No more religion. What I need is a relationship with him. I don't have it, but I need it. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up with no one looking Balcony, main floor, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Walker, I need a relationship with him every day. Thank you. Anyone else say, here's my hand, Pastor Walker, pray for me. I, I need Jesus. Not Baptist, not Lutheran, not Episcopalian, not Catholic. I, I need him. See, when the storm increases, don't get more religious. What you need to do is give your life to him. Anyone else, just a moment and say, Pastor Walker, here's my hand, pray for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Perhaps your heads are bowed, your eyes, and you're a Christian. You know the creator God, the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. But you're still being overcome by your fears. Do you see what they reveal about you? Do you see what they reveal about him? Pastor Walker Pray for me. I need to see Jesus for who he really is. He is the greater Jonah and the greatest problems and fears of my life. He's already overcome them through his death and resurrection. Help me to trust him in the lesser things every day. They're still meaningful. They're still troublesome. But if he can do that, he can handle all this. Pastor Walker, here's my hand. Pray for me that I would learn to trust him and have faith in my fears as a believer. Did you just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you also as we close? Thank you. Thank you. All over. Thank you. Thank you. Father, thank you for your word.
I pray for those who raise their hands, some indicating that their fear overcomes them because they don't have a relationship with you at all. I pray today that you would give them the gift of repentance and brokenness and that they would come today to put their faith and trust in you that you might be the Savior and Lord of their life. I pray for Christians who raised their hand, and there were many. Father, you know all their fears inside and out, but would you help them to know you better? You know their fears, but would they know you better, that you're the God who doesn't fear anything? You're on the throne. You are God alone. Please help them to trust you, to see who you are, to see how you're working in their lives and that no matter what they face, they can trust you. Please be glorified in the transformation of lives by the power of your spirit and word, and we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.